I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers. And we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this show, number 15 in a series of 10, Movie DBZ, Major Spoilers gets an IOU, Heroes on NBC, the original LSH, Batman RIP, Ghost Riders RPM, Brian Dennett MIA, Mark Miller MVP, former Captain America Steve Rogers is still DOA, anyone trying to transcribe this is SOL, but you the listener are our VIP. All this coming up, PDQ on the QT with a heaping helping of MSG as the Major Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Thank you. Now in HD. (laughs) I should have said HD, yeah. So I got through all that stuff and I couldn't say Major Spoilers. That's okay. Uh, And another excellent intro this week from... From Matthew, right from the, the top MP. Of my head. Man, this has been a busy frickin' week for me, because it always is at the end of a semester, whenever you have projects that need to be graded, and graduation, and all this stuff, I'm about two weeks behind on all my comic book reading, and a little behind on some of the news stories, but there are still a lot of great news stories that came out this week up on Majorspoilers.com. One of the things that I thought was really cool was st- some stuff that just came out today, with the announcement of remakes of... The original Highlander movie and Flash Gordon. Oh, he'll save every one of us. Da, da, da. All right, knock it out. Okay, now, I, <laughs> I have a theory because mm-hmm. a lot of people are, and I'm kind of this way too. Why do you have to remake, especially the Highlander, yeah. which I think stands alone as a great movie by itself, even if it is 20 plus years old? But I have a theory, and I think I've said this before. Every generation, you have to remake the movie for the the, the younger generation. Mm-hmm. So when Highlander first came out, I don't know what year it came out. I was, what, 12, 15, somewhere around there? I think it was 82, I want to okay, say. Okay, so 12, all right? Hmm. 10 years old when Flash Gordon came out. That's a movie that I got to see and enjoy as a kid. Now, flash forward 20 plus years, and yeah, I've seen the movie and I've enjoyed it, but try to get a 10-year-old to watch a 20-year-old movie about Flash Gordon or the Highlander, Mm -hmm. and it ain't going to work. So what's the solution? We have to remake it, just like we have to remake Batman every 20 years. Mm -hmm. Why we have to redo, well, the Hulk is a sucky movie to begin with, but uh, (laughs) why you have to remake the Hulk and pretend the first one never existed. Why in 20 years you're going to see Spider-Man number one redone again. Mm -hmm. Why we have Psycho redone. Why we have all these movies redone is because it happens every 20 years. How did you feel about Batman Begins? I I really liked it. I mean, I still have some problems with it, some nitpicky stuff, but I mean, I thought it was a really good origin movie, better than the first Batman. However, I think the first Batman is more akin to what we're going to see in Dark Knight as far as the villain and that kind of stuff. And that, I mean, that was 89. That was barely 20 years ago, I think. And to the point where I, I think you're right. Every generation wants a new version with the most, you know, the most up-to-date special effects, or even what we call the topical references, where you know Bruce Wayne is all of a sudden using the internet, which yeah. really in '89 wasn't an issue, so. right, right? And doesn't and doesn't have a cell phone the size of his arm, right? Or on on star <laughs> on his car, right? Uh, exactly. Other other movies. Any thoughts on Dragon Ball Z, the live action movie? I think it could be fun. I mean. Uh, Honestly, I wouldn't watch an episode of Dragon Ball Z nowadays because once I figured out the formula, I was like, eh, you know. 
Um, they they do spend you know entire episodes just powering up, and then nothing happens <laughs> afterwards. Um, but I think you know this could be the the kind of special effects extravaganza that you know makes for an entertaining hundred and sixty minutes or however much. Or I'll lose some Greek cred and say I've never watched an episode of Dragon Ball Z. Now Brian, who is MIA this week, mm-hmm. uh, he used to love watching Dragon Ball Z and used to know all the different ones, and I was like. Dude, I'm sorry. I have no interest. When I was, I used to watch it all the time, and that's that's really the reason why I got turned off of it is because after, like season two was just like the previous season, and season oh, yeah, three yeah, was yeah. just like the one before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, one of the things that that always kind of got to me about Dragon Ball Z is I I would occasionally have to watch you know the last ten minutes of it before something good came on Adult Swim, mm-hmm. and it really boiled down to and now we fight. Yeah, And every single episode, if you're writing an episode guide, it's like, here's a guy named after a vegetable, and here's a guy named after underpants, and now they fight. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think the naming conventions are probably, to me, the most entertaining thing about Dragon Ball Z. The fact that, what is it, Majin Buu was raised by Bibbidi and Bobbidi? Yeah. Crack me up. I love that. Yeah, I, there was a whole, uh, actually, you know, the... In Dragon Ball, there were, which was the one, the thing that preceded Dragon Ball Z, um, there were all these guys named after musical instruments, hmm. and that's where Nerd! we get Piccolo. Yeah, that's where, that's where Piccolo comes from. Um, but you actually like that sort of got cut off of the actual show, so you just had yeah. this powerful guy for no reason named after a tiny flute. <laughs> I thought he was named after a pickle. <laughs> oh, he might have been. Seriously. No, there's no, him I think... and there's there's veg- Vegeta and then there's you know cucumberino and and <laughs> eggplanto Spider Man. Hey, Hero Season Three is going to be all villain centric. Ooh, that might be cool. Or focus a lot more on the villains than than what happened with Season Two, which you know even the producers and creators know that they messed up on Season Two with the pacing and everything, and they've apologized and they promise that this next season is going to be really much better. And we put a couple of sneak videos or behind the scenes and a trailer up on the Major Spoilers website that uh, I don't know if you guys checked out, but it looks yeah, very right. cool. I'm interested in it. I am too. I think one of the things that Season Two, well, Season One to me really evoked lots of bits and pieces of comics. Season Two seemed to bother me in like, for instance, to me the the guy that. In, in the past, the immortal man, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, why is Vandal Savage a blonde? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to have those references and have, here's mm-hmm. an archetypical character, but season two felt an awful lot like, not only are they archetypical, they're having the same story arcs as the archetypical characters from which they seem to be drawn in comics. Right. Well, I think this year will be rather interesting because uh, apparently they're going to focus more on the villains and we don't know who the hero is and who the villain is, and the hero might be the villain and the villain might be the hero. Uh, so I think that that could be really interesting, although it seems like when you see heroes, season three villains, the first thing that I think about is the DC promo stuff, which is not owned by NBC, that says, you know, this final crisis, the year villains win or something like this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I don't know if there's a lot of borrowing going on. I'm certainly a lot of people have said that, what's his name, Tim Kring, Krig? Uh, has borrowed quite heavily from X-Men and other things, and Mm -hmm. so I don't know if they're borrowing again. Uh, The one big story that I'm really excited about, and it came down to The Wire, literally The Wire, probably a few hours before their upfront presentation, is the CW renewing Reaper, 
which I don't know if you guys are watching it. It is one of the best shows on television, I think. I had no idea that it existed until I saw this uh Missy Peregrine's the, the uh, pictures <laughs> on um on on the side. She's so hot. <laughs> you watch Reaper, Matthew? The only Reaper that I really know about is from the viewsq.com boards and that Kevin Smith connection in the early days. So I haven't actually watched it because I, I don't have any more room in my TV watching schedule. Oh, you have to make room for this. Watch all the reruns. Sk- program your TiVos to catch this uh, first season in reruns. It's not going to be back until mid-season next year, and it's only going to be 13 more episodes. But the idea is Sam, before he was born, his parents had some kind of trouble, and they sold Sam's soul to the devil in order to get out of it. And so by the time he turns 18, he doesn't know anything about this. One day the devil shows up and says, ah, your soul is mine. Well, I can't kill you, but instead you're going to go out and you're going to uh, fetch all these escaped souls from hell and return them. And he gives them different vessels that he has to capture them each week, and he's got a couple of, of pals. It's kind of a cross between... Um, Ghostbusters, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, uh, probably really those two, I think, is probably the biggest comparison. Got a little uh, Ghost Rider thrown in there. Maybe a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's got the um, Kevin Smith is a creative consultant. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe he directed the first episode, which was really awesome. And then Kevin Murphy is also a consulting producer. And I don't know if it's the same Kevin Murphy from the MST3K days. I don't know if that's the same guy or not. But regardless, I think this is the male-centric version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's got a really great, rich history that's being built into it. And it's it's a well-put-together show. The last couple of episodes kind of dragged um, the ones that were immediately after the writer's strike. But, man, they, they uh, slam-dunked it for the uh, last two or three episodes going into the season finale. So cool. I'm excited that this... Uh, that this show is getting re- renewed for another season, although it's a short season. Before we get into the reviews, I do want to thank uh, Tyler C. this week for dropping off some change in the Major Spoilers tip jar. Thank you so much, Tyler C. Uh, we're going to dedicate this show to you. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> uh, the Major Spoilers tip jar is there up in the upper right-hand corner of the Majorspoilers.com website. You don't have to give, but everyone who does, you are really appreciated. Who wants to start us off with some reviews this week? I think Matthew should go first this week. Oh, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. I do seem to have this this week's set piece, uh, piece de resistance, the uh, the uh, crème de la crème, the uh, the oldest the oldest table. title to be reviewed this week on the show. Maybe that's why you're it, doing it first. <laughs> hey, that's what we do, my friend. That's what we do. I never said that we were going to spoiler things quick. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Um, this week, actually, and it was it was Stephen who pointed it out to me. Action Comics number eight sixty four, which I think is two weeks old now. Uh, right? April thirtieth is when this one came out. So did the so math there by by yeah you know, by the time it actually we see air, it will actually be three weeks old. But I definitely wanted to touch on it simply because I foolish mortal that I am told my uh, my comic guy Dion at Gatekeeper Hobbies Huntoon Engage Topeka hey. to. Uh, Pull Action Comics for me, as long as it had the Legion of Superheroes in it. Right. So, last issue, 863, was the last one that had the Legion uh, name on the cover. Right. So, I didn't see 864 until Steven pointed it out. But number 864, tellingly, is entitled Batman and the Legion of Superheroes. Yep. 
and I, I think Stephen had the best, real, the real, really the best overall comment on it. You tell him what you said. Well, Steve. this is what's so cool is there's this mysterious narrator who, all throughout the issue, I'm trying to figure out who the hell is narrating this issue. Is it Libra? No, it's not Libra, <laughs> and it's not Barry Allen. Uh, but all throughout this issue, there's somebody telling things, saying things like. Uh, Batman in the future, no one cares about you because you're dead. Uh, all these other Legion people are, you know, will appear. Superman, this is going to happen to you. All these other people, and by the end of it, with the big reveal, which I'll let Matthew reveal, by the mm. end of it, I'm like, Action Comics 864 was a better DC Zero than DC Zero mm. because the reveal. If this was the kickoff to the whole Final Crisis thing. I would have said this is the must-have issue to understand what's going on because there is so much stuff. This is so yeah. deep, and it really digs into the whole DC continuity and what's been going on in Action Comics and Superman and Batman and Legion of Superheroes and JSA, JL. I mean, wow. Yeah. Tellingly for me, the first caption of the issue immediately clued me as to who it was. And it wasn't one of those... You know, it's an identified, the caption has the, the little lightning bolt in it. This one, first words of the issue, it's all history to me. Well, and so I knew it was someone from the future recanting right. some, or retelling something from the past. Right. But I'm like, okay, who can it be? Who can it be? Who can it be? Is it Booster Gold? No, that doesn't make sense. I think, Is it I think Superman? No, that doesn't make sense. It's going to be Vandal Savage from the future. It could have been Vandal Savage from the future. You know, you didn't. I did not know who it, who it was. It could have been Rip Hunter. I kept saying, oh, well, pages, these kind of look like torn parchments or something. Maybe Maybe it's Rip Hunter telling this story, but if this is think, not Rip Hunter because as you read this dialogue, this guy's yeah. pretty bitchy towards Batman and Superman and even the lone Legionnaire that appears in the in the in the story. When you think Legion, and you've been reading Legion as long as I have, um, <laughs> you think Legion, <laughs> and you think somebody looking back in time. Mordru, obviously. Mordru, let's uh, go to the issue. The issue actually starts Batman arriving at the Fortress of Solitude. And right. Batman looks, he looks more irritated than usual, if that's possible for Batman. And the, the narration very clearly says, and this is the ominous bit, today's the day I use Batman to tell Superman that if I can't take him away from the Legion, I'll take the Legion away from him. Yeah, so it instantly <laughs> sets things up. And, and yeah, I mean, this is certainly a Jeff Johns uh, story. And yes. he's been doing all of these major crossover stories, and I think exceptionally well. Absolutely. And the the issue is actually just steeped with, you know, little references, little bits and pieces. Batman enters the Fortress of Solitude and basically finds Superman sitting and reminiscing with Lightning Lad, one of the founding members of the Legion. And Lightning Lad tries to introduce himself to Batman. And, of course, gets the brush off. He gets the standard Grant Morrison Batman, probably a bat dickness scale of about six and a half to seven. Yeah, I was going to say about a four or five. I mean, he's not super dicky, but at the beginning. Oh, what's, no. He what's with this uh, um, Triceratops with the reflection of the original Legion in its in its top? What's that, is, that all I, about? I believe that's a Kryptonian memory beast, if I'm, if I'm thinking oh, right. Oh, okay. It's one of the things from the old uh, Silver Age Legion stories. I also love the fact that they're sitting there drinking soda cola. Yeah, mm. that's what's so great. Drink lots of soda. But throughout the issue, uh, Batman basically tells Superman to have his little friend leave because the grown-ups need to talk. And Batman breaks basically a piece of a piece of news that really struck me as odd. They were ta he's talking about 
the Legion. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how, well, the Legion came back, and Batman finally breaks it. And uh, the thing that got me is he says, we've met three different Legions. Exactly, and that's what's really cool. And what's even better is editor notes. Way back in Justice yep. League of America 148, way back in Final Night, way back in yep. Brave and the Bold. Awesome, yep. awesome, awesome. But the thing that makes you know that makes this a little ominous to me is Justice League of America 148 should not and could not have happened post crisis. So something something is going on. Right. The w- the way the universe changed after Infinite yeah, Crisis. Yeah, nobody that remembered anything. Existed. Right. But now, but okay, let uh, me ask you this though, because remember in the Lightning Saga, right? Um, Batman standing in the hallway and. He sees this ghost shape, apparently of Barry Allen, and right. he shakes for a moment. He goes, oh, wait, I was expecting someone else to come back. So maybe he's got that idea of what happened pre-crisis. Could be. Well, we know that Superman has to remember pre-crisis when he remembers his friends in this, the original Legion. Right. And, and maybe now that and- the multiverse is back, everything is remembered again? It's hard to say. The one thing we can tell you is that... The multiverse is back, and, you know, Clark is a little frightened when Batman tells him that they need to go to Gotham to identify the bodies of two of his dead friends. Which and we finally see... Go ahead. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me why we see Karate Kid and Una dead mm-hmm. when we know that Una died on Earth-51, the one that becomes the... Uh, Command D, last boy on Earth planet. And right. that's also, well, no, Karate Kid didn't die on that planet. I forget which universe he died on, but he died in another universe as well. So why are they on New Earth? Why are they on whatever Earth, you know, that the story takes place? That's what doesn't make sense to me. How did they and get Batman, back? Batman CSI's the scene and he clearly says she, they didn't die here and they didn't die together. Someone put them on New Earth, or Earth One, or whatever we want to call it, specifically as a message, and I think as a message to Superman. And, and a but, little goof that I need to point out, uh, Batman mm-hmm. does say that both of them are wearing Legion flight rings, and it's clear, it's so clear that in <laughs> Countdown number issue 8, Una gives her flight ring to uh, Buddy Blank, so he and his son could fly off to Command D to be safe. <clears throat> Jeff Johns. Now, here's something you have to ask yourself, Mr. Schleicher. Okay. Whomever or whatumever <laughs> picked these bodies up from Earth 8 and yeah. 50, respectively, yeah. right. dropped them because the Legion flight rings were what was the dead giveaway. It's the right. flight ring that actually created the signal. And, of course, Lightning Lad foolishly yeah. leaves the Fortress of Spider-Tude, Solitude, whatever, and Lightning Lad steps into Gotham City circa 2008, and we have a moment that kind of mirrors the beginning of the issue where Batman goes into the the fortress and sees Superman on his home turf with his old friend and feels completely left out. Well, right. Batman doesn't feel. And then we have the moment where Lightning Lad does the same thing. He steps in and sees his best friend with his other best friend. And, it, you know, there's a very my girlfriend, my girlfriend vibe here. It's kind of cute, actually, but <laughs> yeah, the Legion we flight were best rings. Friends. Yeah, the flight rings start emitting a distress signal. And who do they and come from? from? There's only one other Legionnaire in the 20th century, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Callor, Starboy slash Man. Um, Starman has basically become aware of something, and of course, 
we have to touch on the fact that Starman's illness, which was never a problem with 31st century science, his, um, I believe they said it's schizophrenia. Right. I'm not sure if his symptoms are really, to me, specifically classic schizophrenic symptoms. But either way, uh, he's a little wicky in the wacky woo. Yeah. So what's, you know what's what with I- all now? Oh, you know what? Hmm. Never mind. I- I'll come back to this. You know, he's they go Superman and Batman and Garth, uh, Lightning Lad. Uh, lightning man they go to uh to the sanitarium to check into starman and he's drawing all these little purple stick people on the wall right and he's talking and he he does this great quote karate kid is dead again that's why i signal you superman i wanted to tell you karate kid didn't die in that alley he died trying to find a cure for his illness but sometimes illnesses have no cure sometimes the dead stay dead and then we see this mysterious voice if only that were easy uh uh, Star, what did he call him? Starboy? Starboy. Starboy. Which then, implies that whoever it is knows him as Starboy. And then he's talking about, um, oh, what did he, he says something, he's referencing Una, and then that's right. when it kicks to me, all these little purple people that he's drawing on the wall behind me, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a representation of Una, it's a representation of Triplicate Girl multiplying herself multiple times, which is what future current legion of superheroes right. triplicate girl does she can she's essentially duplicated herself in an infinite amount of times to repopulate her planet yep. is that what you got i don't know if you got that i actually i was thinking that same thing but if you look at the way it breaks down they're all in factors of three except for there are two little sets where you see two of them right which makes me wonder if somehow that's not referring to the fact that you know, uh, Una originally lost a self and became Duo Damsel. I don't know. Ah, so maybe he's repeating it, because he does repeat it on the grid pattern on the wall. Right, and he also references the story, the Starman story from uh, about probably 10, 15 years ago, where Starman, Jack Knight, finds out that his successor is going to be a boy named Danny Blaine. Ah, yeah. And Danny Blaine is actually Tom Keller, come back from the future, but... In any case, Lightning Lad and Superman and Batman basically return back to the fortress, and Lightning Lad tries to apologize. Well, check out this line by our mysterious person. I know you feel it, Superman. You glanced over your shoulder, a shiver up your spine. Not even Luther can do that, can he? I can. Which, if you're thinking about, and and again, if you think about what I said, this is DC Zero better done than DC Zero, where you have this whole story leading up to this reveal of the Libra slash Barry Allen thing that we talked about last week. Right. This is almost like when Professor Zoom is sitting there going, did I just feel a breeze come through here? I, f- I felt something. This is exactly. almost mirroring this, this exact same story, which shouldn't surprise me because didn't John's write part of uh, of uh, Zero? I believe, he, I believe he wrote a, at least a portion of it. But yeah, yeah I think so, you're I mean, right. You know, there's some, there's some very cool things going on. Yeah. And, and of course, it- Garth realizes he has to go home. Right. And Garth, the the thing that I love is that Garth tries to make peace with Batman and says something to the effect of, I wonder what he would have turned out like if we'd gone to get him too. And the mysterious voice, if I'm not mistaken. Well, essentially, at one point, Garth says, you know, in the future, Batman, we revere you just as much as Superman or something like that. That's right. And the mysterious voice says, no, people in the future don't even know who you are. 
That's right. They've completely forgotten you. And in the last, the last panel of the second to last page, we see a hand wrapped in basically shredded bandages. And you know, from the very the beginning, mummy. I said it's I the mummy. It. It's the mummy. <laughs> it's the mummy. It's the the scorpion king. No, of course not. The time trapper. Son of a gun! This was like the oh snap! And I was like, how come Matthew didn't review this? And you know what's really cool about this is the time trapper, if you're looking at all the panels on the front page, so the front page is Superman busting through some kind of crystalline mass, just like we saw in uh, Infinite Crisis with Superboy Prime, or Prime, punching through and breaking down the multiple barriers, multiple uh, dimensions that were going on. And in the back, we see... Uh, the Zod storyline, we see Bizarro World, we see things that happened in uh, All-Star Superman, we're seeing things that happened in Old Legion, Current Legion, uh, and then even on this last page with Time Trapper, if you're looking, there's the old Brainiac floating yeah. around in the background, uh, there's the bodies of, of the Legion, and there's more, well no, not Mordrew, that's uh, Dream Girl, Block, and somebody else up there. It's Actually, just one I of believe that's that's Earthman and Spider Girl and the the Justice League of Earth from the last few issues. Oh well, okay, there you go. But it's just like, holy crap! This is like a huge reveal of what is Time Trapper going to be doing to mess with the minds of everyone in this in this series. He's going to play a huge. This is the kickoff to the Legion of Three Worlds. It's got to be absolutely. And Time Trapper refers to the things that happened in the Volume 4 Legion where he or Volume 3 where he tried to erase Superboy from the continuity and he created the pocket universe and, and messed with the Legion's minds. And it refers obliquely to things that happened in the Archie Legion, which at that point I'm making the connection and I'm wondering if three different legions who've all faced a Time Trapper if we're not looking at the same trapper, it's kind of like my theory of the Phantom Zone. Yeah. How does Monel get put in the future or put in the zone in 2008 and come out both in the future where Superman knew him, but also in the future where he fought Supergirl? Yeah. Many universes, one Phantom Zone. And I'm yeah. wondering if the same is true of the trapper because he comes from basically vanishing point, the end of the universe. I was going to say he's at the end of time. That's where he they, they put him, exactly. right? Which is why the line "It's all history" to me was such a dead giveaway. I did not Everything see it coming. Is history. Everything uh, is history to the Trapper, but it's a great reveal, and it brings back one of DC's really classic, powerful villains in essentially the classic form. I think it gives us something that you know, something that definitely makes me looking forward even more than I was to Legion of Three Worlds. I'm going to have to give this issue four and a half stars. The what, only what didn't you like. The only thing, and it wasn't even a didn't like, the art felt a little bit too much like I'm going to try and draw like Gary Frank. You and me. I were thinking the exact same thing, because if I had one complaint about the issue, it's the art. Yep. I mean, his his Batman is good. I, I like his Batman. He's not bad, but the, the Superman has kind of a square head, and the cape-to-shoulder ratio never works for me. Yeah. And it's really, it's Lightning Lad that throws it for me, because Lightning Lad... It, theoretically, I'm looking at Lightning Lad as being, you know, 25, 26, somewhere in that area. But he really looks considerably younger than he did under Gary Frank's pen. And it feels like an artist trying to create, not trying to ignore his own writing style to create sort of a continuity for the trade paperback mentality. Mm. But it, definitely a very good issue. Lots of little hints here and lots of moments that, you know, really worked for me. And finally, somebody, you know, referencing. The death of Duo Damsel and the death of Karate Kid, which is what I'm looking for 
and I don't I don't necessarily think that every character needs to die a, a big heroic Barry Allen death, but you've got to reference it. You've got to make it real, or else the you know you get to the point where oh wait it, uh, he was dead uh, it didn't take. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, we spent too much time reviewing that, Matthew. I'm going to give it four and a half as well. Why don't we count that as both our reviews for this week? I was going to review Batman Rest in Peace, but the discussion on that would last another 15, 20 minutes. So I'm going to yeah. skip out on Batman Rest in Peace well, uh, this us, week. Give and, us a star rating. What do you, what do you um, think of it? Hmm, I'm going to give it a, a tentative two and a half hmm. out of five. And it, and it goes into a bigger issue of what happened at the end of Salvation Run, um, what happened during 52. It has to do with secret identities. It has to do with what's going on. My problems are, and again, it goes back to what's going on between Batman and Detective Comics. Uh, really, it has to do with Morrison's run on Batman is, is really the way I, I strike it down. And maybe I'll talk, I, I should really talk more about that next week. So, but uh, so far I give it a two and a half out of, out of five stars. It's, it's yeah. a good, it's a good kind of kickoff. I don't think it, the real kickoff happened a, about a year and a half ago. So, mm-hmm. eh. I would agree. Eh. Rodrigo, grace us with something non-DC. All right. Oh. I'm, I've, I'm taking you all back to Ghost Rider. Which oh, I, yeah. Last time zombies, right? Yeah, it was. It's it's flesh-eating ghosts. I mean, I, I kind of went with the zombie thing, but really, they were really, uh, they were pretty lucid about eating people. Right. And so, they just kind so, of. Hmm? Sort of glombies. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. So Matthew reviewed Matthew and I reviewed something from three weeks ago. I mentioned Batman six seventy six from last week. Rodrigo's actually reviewing something current, something that's out this week. So <laughs> I'm reviewing uh, something Rodrigo, from the future. Rodrigo's it's actually all history on to uh, me. Uh, a little. Oh, Rodrigo's <laughs> the time trapper. Rodrigo for the win, right there, folks. <laughs> um. All right. So this is uh, Ghost Rider number twenty three. Is the close of the Hellbent and Heaven Bound arc um which i just absolutely i absolutely enjoyed it um ghost rider uh f- has found out that most of his misery is due to this renegade angel who's trying to take over heaven and ghost rider is riding around trying to figure out how he can get to heaven to kick his ass that's that's basically what oh, he's trying that's to do that's pretty cool um, he finds out about this kid named Lucas, uh, who has recently come back from the dead. Yeah. And then he goes out to get him. And this is the conclusion of this. It left me a little bit, um, disappointed because it, it definitely just chops, just ends that completely. By the end of this issue, Lucas is dead. Um, all the killer nurses are dead. Um, were they hot killer nurses? Some of them were, but okay. the main nurse, do you remember that killer nurse from Daredevil? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's. I think she might be the same character oh. brought back from the dead. So okay. if it was, that the, would be cool. The Surgeon General? No. Or I think something different. No, from the uh, Frank Miller. Frank Miller yeah. thing. It was just like this henchman to one to the kingpin was this uh, giant nurse. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little sidetrack there. But uh, anyway. Back to Ghost Rider 23. Right. Giant um, killer nurses on the next Jerry Springer. Yep. <laughs> So, um, and it, and they were building up this, uh, kind of deputy character who gets kidnapped, um, by a cannibal, um, during this. And it all, it, it all comes together at the end. It's, it's pretty cool. But, you know, I, it, it seems like this character is just going to drop out as well. It just kind of ends. It, it seems like it was too sharp of an end, whereas they were building a lot of cool characters who mm-hmm. are now all dead, all dead or have dropped out. 
Um, so and now will it's like, they be on the other side when Ghost Rider gets to heaven and who kicks knows? some ass? Or? I, I would, I would say, I would hope so. Here's the thing, though. Um, throughout all, throughout this whole thing, there's been this mysterious present, like this mysterious person who keeps popping up, Mephisto, and kind of interacting. He interacts with the nurses. Gotta and be Mephisto. He talks to Lucas, and he convinces him to kill himself. Oh, Steven Spielberg. Right. <laughs> uh, it's Howard the Duck. <laughs> and wouldn't that, what a great reveal that would be. Um, and here's the thing. I was like, okay, well, this is clearly the main antagonist who's, uh, you know, kind of popping in and out and screwing things up for right. Ghost Rider. Right. But it's not. And there's a, dun, dun, dun. there's a huge reveal at the end of the issue. And I don't know if I should even. I don't know. This is, this is going to be, is this is a pretty big deal. This is a big deal. This um, is major spoilers, gentlemen. All right. Tell me. So, I mean, it depends on when you listen to this. Uh, technically, the Marvel, you know, this uh, podcast doesn't get released till the same day that the issue hits the stands. Mm-hmm. So, no. go ahead. All right. So, you have this mysterious person. He gets he gets uh, the kid to kill himself. You think this guy is working against Ghost Rider this whole time. As it turns out, it's... Slagathor. Dun, dun, dun! Slagathor. Um, who is supposed to be dead. And actually, if you look at the at the art when he's finally revealed, he looks like he's uh, in a slight state of decay. So, I don't know if he's brought back or if Whoa. he's just like... Because that's something you mentioned at the beginning when you first started reviewing this, that this is not the this same... Is, this is Johnny Blaze. Yeah. Ghost Rider. Um, so, what's... Slagathor. Doing back? Is he? Does he have any Ghost Rider powers? Is he working for the bad guy? Is he not... Um, that's going to be all in the second arc, which if it's the same creative team, I'm going to pick up still, wow. um, despite the fact that the, this ending was so abrupt. The art, once again, was great. Um, I, I think the colors are really what do it because there's, you know, it's Ghost Rider. There's such a huge contrast. He's wearing black and everything's on fire. Um, so it it really generates something great. Um, I'll give the... The whole block of uh, Hellbent and Heavenbound, definitely uh, four stars um, and frequently uh, wanders into the four and a half uh, area. The ending, you know, it sets us up for the next arc, but as an end to the arc, I thought it was a little bit lacking. I'm I'm definitely going to go for the next, uh, I- I'm in for the next arc at least. Oh. Well, you know what you ought to do? You should bleep it. All right, I'll bleep well, it. Anytime we mention the other name, every time the, the that one name is mentioned, I'll bleep it. Here's what we're going to do. Well, I'm going to say the word Slagathor, and I want you to cover every single okay. instance of that name with Slagathor. Okay. That'll Beta Ray in. Bill. That's who the big. That's who the big bad guy is. Okay. Tom, you should say Tom Welling. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would really uh, piss people off. And the villain huh? is revealed to be Tom, Tom Welling. Welling. Oh, some great reviews this week. That reveal, Rodrigo. Ooh, boy. Yeah. Ghost Rider 23. There's some good titles coming out. And I think this is actually, from what the uh, solicitation said, is going to affect Ghost Rider throughout the rest of this year. So mm-hmm. that, that does sound like I, a title to, to watch. I'm looking that, forward to it. That Excellent. might even me back. Oh, and if Matthew's coming back to Marvel Comics. You know what that means? The fat man's on the loose. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of fat men on the loose, I do have our question of the week. Oh, rip, rip it out for us, Matthew. 
I know that I grew up, and we were discussing earlier in the podcast about how every generation kind of has an updated version of things which came before. And, you know, on that note, this week's question of the week is, which version of the Spider-Man cartoon do you personally prefer? There was the original series from 1967 to 70. There was the 1981 version of Spider-Man, and then it kind of mutated into Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Uh, from 1994 to 98, I believe it was on. Was it on MTV? They had Spider-Man the Animated Series, or was that? No, that was no. Fox Kids. Yeah, it was Fox Kids. Yeah. That's right. 1999-2000 was the the Spider-Man Unlimited series, the 2003 MTV series, or the current spectacular Spider-Man series from 2008. Uh, definitely head on over to the Majorspoilers.com forums. So take the poll yourself. Talk it out. Yell it out. I don't care personally. For me, got to be. Question C, Spider-Man and his amazing friends for two reasons. One, okay. Ms. Lion. <laughs> I, you you got to have Ms. Lion. And the Lasso-Opso or whatever she was. Exactly. And <laughs> seriously, Ms. Lion is like an iconic character in Marvel history who gets screwed over every time they revamp the continuity. I'm waiting for ultimate Ms. Lion myself. <laughs> She'll be an actual lion and it'll be awesome. And the second reason to me that it's superior is Stan Lee's narration. Yeah, that's true. I can hear him in my mind, you know, right now saying, hang loose, heroes. It's the menace of video man. Yeah. Greetings, heroes. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Excelsior. Um, you know, I went ahead and selected the Spider-Man Unlimited series because, no, 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 uh, not Unlimited, Animated series, because that right. one... They at least tried to tie in a lot of solid continuity mm-hmm. where you had story arcs that span several episodes. Uh, you know, they had Craven's Big Hunt or Final Hunt or Big Killer, whatever it was. You had the whole uh, vampire guy mm-hmm. coming in. You just really Mor- Blade showed up. Morpheus. Yeah, it, it was just such I thought it was one that was filled with lots of continuity to follow. If it wasn't for that, my second pick would have been Spider-Man and his amazing friends simply because of Swarm. Yeah. <laughs> And you, you can't beat a hey let's uh let's let's go fight a guy so we we will activate all this furniture that flips over and then doesn't do anything <laughs> they just run out and fight the guy anyway is that, is that your pick? no I, i'll actually go i'll go with the the same one you did Steve, the animated the, series be, and 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 i hadn't even thought about that but yeah it's one of the first real cartoon superhero series right where they introduced doc connors very early on and he's not mm-hmm. the lizard until much later you know mm-hmm. something that's being echoed in the current one that's yeah. just come out um i will say that spider-man unlimited was horrible i really hated it <laughs> the art was horrible and it was clear that it was just marvel going like oh this uh batman beyond thing's really catching on isn't it guys let's try to launch a spider-man thing that is this you right. know very similar to that and it was just I mean, there was just nothing about it that I liked. I never caught the MTV one. I yeah, just... it was 3D. It was, I've got it on DVD. It's okay. The thing that, that there were two things that actually bothered me about the one, the 1994 series mm-hmm. that kind of pushed it aside. First was the voiceover narration by the kid who played Greg Brady in the, in the Brady Bunch movies was very overly excited about everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Aunt May's good. You know, yeah. and the, the second thing to me that kind of threw it for a loop, and I, I want to say that, you know, I'm old. I work in a comic store. I'm I'm actually roughly three steps from becoming the worst character <laughs> ever. 
But I felt like the mishmash and the amalgamation of 35 years of continuity smushed together, much like the X-Men series of the same era, right. really bothered me because it was it was once again stories that I kind of knew and continuity that I'm vaguely familiar with, but now I have to remember a new version of that continuity mm-hmm. where I think, you know, and of course, Mkron, which just sucked. But (laughs) early results from the uh, major spoilers poll over at majorspoilers.com does have uh, the animated series slightly ahead of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Mm. I think I think a lot of people have gone back and seen Spider-Man and his amazing friends and can't necessarily get into it because of how campy it is. I will say when it first came out, though, mm -hmm. I was there every day. Even if my chores weren't done on Saturdays, I'd stop yep. my chores to watch Spider-Man as Amazing Friends. I used to, I used to watch it too. Um, of course, uh, clearly in reruns because it uh, ended the year I was born. Apparently, <laughs> um, and we hate you for that. That's but. what I hear. That's okay. I, I probably deserve that. Um, but as as a really small kid, I used to watch Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends in Spanish. Actually. Oh, that's got to be great. Um, Ooh. And um, el hombre, Leon, el hombre araña, um, <laughs> and and when I was in like middle school is when I uh, or yeah yeah middle school is when I started watching um, the animated series. So mm-hmm. as I mean that's that that's was me more as a target. kid. Yeah, yeah. I was watching that and going back and seeing that it's like it's campy. He always shoots his spider web straight up into the air. Even right. like he's out in like Chelsea Pier or something. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> straight up into the air like there's no buildings around how do you say Iceman in spanish el hombre de hielo oh see one of the things that i i actually blame spider-man and his amazing friends for one of my main obsessions as an adult in that the voice of Iceman was done by frank welker who is one of my great idols and you may know frank welker better as the voice of fred from scooby-doo oh yeah mm. yeah, yeah. And the voice of Megatron from mm-hmm. Transformers. Mm-hmm. Oh, and nice. listening to that, I really, I, I said, that's that's the same man who does the voice of Freddy. And I started wondering about, you know, the actual science behind the voice actors and the people mm-hmm. who make these voices and starting to listen, you know, listen to accents and listen to tonalities and things that go, that's Frank Welker. You know, that's that's Billy West. That's Don. Phil Lamar. I was just He's wondering everything nowadays. I was just yeah. wondering why Shaggy was in it every Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> that I watched. And he was Casey, doing a top 40 show. Exactly. Casey Kasem. <laughs> One of the things that I think that's really great is when you catch them in things that are so atypical. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you'll hear like Frank Welker. If you ever seen Space Camp, the little robot in Space Camp is Frank Welker. And oh, I really? watched that for the first time. And I'm like, is that? You know, and then you you start to put it together, and I think that's what really got me into broadcasting, where I met you. So, well, you meaning me, and not you, you, you Steven Rodrigo, yeah, not you, as in Rodrigo or the listeners or anyone at home. So, really, that was just me once again going off on a tangent, an old guy tangent. Someday I'm going to be like, <laughs> he's starting to slip, Marie! ladies and gentlemen. He's starting Marie! to slip. <laughs> Bring me my Jello. I want to talk about Frank Welker again. That's Matthew at Majorspoilers.com. All right, moving into our trade paperback review of the week. A teenager is climbing the walls in Manhattan. Mutants are attacking the White House. Nick Fury, head of the elite espionage agency known as S.H.I.E.L.D., knows the only way to combat these strange new threats is with a team of his own superhumans. Backed by a billion-dollar budget, Fury recruits Giant Man, the Wasp, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. And while the team is strong enough to engage in a ferocious battle with the Hulk... 
Will they implode under their weight of their own internal conflicts? Rising above their own agendas, the Ultimates forge ahead with the introduction of a new allies and, a, and face a major global threat. It's the first volume, first, first and second volume of the Ultimates from their very first series. You know, I, I love have- the Ultimate Universe. I'm going to be sad if they if they collapse that thing down to just Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. As will I. And I one of the things I'm not that- a big fan of Ultimate Fantastic Four right now. I think it's because mm-hmm. of the art, and I'm not a big fan of Thanos. And yeah. uh, I don't read the Ultimate X-Men, but, you know, I really like Ultimate Spider-Man, and I do enjoy the Ultimates. Let me just get that off my chest right now. Sure. Ultimate, the first, really, probably the first 12 issues of Ultimates. Hey, wait, I'm under arrest. Hang on. <laughs> They, they heard we gave away the name to uh, oh, no, Ghost Rider Marvel. 23. They're coming after us. Seriously, they're on my street. <laughs> Let's go back and edit that out, too. Nah, we're going to keep that. <laughs> oh, okay. Siren's okay. The, Giving away first, who Ghost Rider is and not so okay. Tom Welling. The, uh, first, <laughs> the first few issues of The Ultimates, and probably for me, the first 25 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, even Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, are excellent examples of how to retell a story and take everything that worked and give it a modern twist without being embarrassed about the things that were maybe silly or hokey. So, I mean, to me, the first 12 issues of Ultimates really... It's kind of like a primer on how to revamp an existing property, how to make it, you know, cool and hip and what have you. Now, let me say, now, Matthew, you are our comics historian because you know more about comics than, well, anyone else on this show, at least. And anyone um, with a job and a, and a career. And, maybe- <laughs> and a family. and a, <laughs> uh, You know, the first issue in this series is all about Captain America and how he gets essentially booted to the future and it's this final mission that he goes on steve rogers and uh they have to go attack this nazi headquarter place they hear it's something about a missile uh, going to be launched and it's a huge paratrooper thing that takes place in iceland and they just go in and i gotta say we all know that um captain america got this super soldier serum uh in the 1940s i mean that's the whole idea behind captain america as he was originally done right but to put Captain America in present-day Marvel, is that the same telling that they did in the Ultimates, where he gets frozen in a block of ice and then is rethought out in the future? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and no. Um, the the reveal, the return of Captain America was uh, Avengers Volume One, Number Four, mm-hmm. where they they find him frozen in a block of ice, and they flash back to a mission in 1945 where he and Bucky basically spearheaded an attack on Baron Heinrich Zemo. The Zemo previous to the current Zemo, Helmut, who's actually Heinrich's son. Mm -hmm. Um, But they attacked Zemo, and Zemo had created a robot plane with an atomic bomb that he was going to use to destroy, I believe, London. And Steve Rogers and Bucky grabbed a hold of the plane as it was taking off, sabotaged the controls. Steve got clear. Bucky's arm got caught. Uh, oh, the explosion okay. the explosion launched him into the sub you know sub uh, freezing waters put him in suspended animation until Namor the submariner came found the body frozen in ice and got angry that the eskimos were worshiping it and not him and threw him into the gulf stream where he, he thawed out i see so is this how uh, bucky later became the winter soldier with the exactly. robotic that's arm why- that's clearly on the right side <laughs> that's why Bucky only. That's why Bucky is missing his right arm, Jason. Um, <laughs> I, but I do got to say, okay, so the stories are somewhat similar then in this mm-hmm. ultimate retelling. But I got to tell you, 
And this is something that I talked about when I was on a Scott Johnson's My Extra Life podcast, when we were talking about really cool, well, we were talking about lame superhero costumes. But if you want to talk about a costume that works, this Captain America costume in 1945 Rock Wars. Yeah. Hell yeah. That is like the the single best military costume to me ever. That I mean, that's better than like Captain Marvel. That's better than anything we've seen in, you know, sort of a realistic war setting. It's it mm-hmm. looks like a uniform. Yeah. It's really a modified military outfit that's been, you know, with the the gas mask or the air flyer mask over his face. I just think that is a rockin' captain america costume oh yeah absolutely i remember before i like it's probably one of the things that got me to uh pick up the ultimates is i saw a picture of that and i was like oh man that looks awesome and then i had a friend who kept bugging me about picking it up as well i know that there is an action figure variant of this one and that is i would really like to get my hands on that one i actually my my daughter has the hero click of it and she thinks it's really funny (laughs) to have because she has regular Captain America and the U.S. agent and Captain America in the old costume. And she's decided that that's Captain America's grandpa. <laughs> that's great. That is great. Grandpa America. Well, that's right, because he has the old shield. So Unlike the, the, the telling that you were telling us where Bucky got his arm ripped off, this Bucky does not get on the on the rocket and he's not even really a a kid sidekick in this he is a fellow soldier Mm -hmm. that thinks captain america is dead that thinks steve rogers is dead and is just kind of left behind wondering what's happened to his uh to his best friend and and that was a great choice i think because later on when steve rogers comes back bucky is still around but he's just incredibly old yeah and that that really brings it home for both the reader and the character is like all the yeah. there's all this time that Captain America has lost. And it's it's a stronger reveal in some ways than the initial realization, you know, in the old mm-hmm. school that that Bucky died horribly and young because, you know, that set him up for the angst of, oh, my best friend is dead. But this really sets him up seeing, you know, Bucky as an 80 year old man sets him up for the realization of just what i mean how much time he's lost his entire life has just gone by it's gone everything he knew is so far out of date as to barely even be relevant anymore and i think it yeah, sets I mean, him he up doesn't the- even use myspace <laughs> i know and he never looked at youtube he probably doesn't even know what nascar is <laughs> have, you know having captain america step into the middle of this and they did it really well where they set him up as a a, a very 40s kind of guy the kind of guy you know where you'd think this is this is what would happen if they'd frozen you know john wayne or gary cooper to me right 50 60 years ago and then they bring him forward and you take this guy who's basically a straight shooter and you put him in a world where he can't even have a water pistol be black well it has to be day glow orange this is the other thing that's kind of cool about this ultimate series is essentially a majority of the superheroes or even supervillains are a result of the Super Soldier Serum Project from mm-hmm. the 1940s. Uh, because yep. it worked for Steve Rogers, why can't it work again? And so that's where the Hulk is revealed that that's he was changed as part of the Super Soldier Serum. Am I correct on that? Um, that's correct. You know, it, it's got the introduction of Ant-Man and, and, and his wife, Wasp, uh, that they're working at the facility trying to figure out what goes on. And I really like this idea that here we see Hank, and is it Pym or Pime? Have we ever addressed that? Pym. Pym. P-Y-M. Okay. Pym, yes, sir. Uh, 
you know, we see him in his original little Ant-Man mask, Mm -hmm. but he's using it to actually talk to the ants and control them, not to shrink down to their size. And it seems that on Prozac or on his pills, he seems to be getting along pretty okay with his wife. But I think that there do does seem to be a little problem in that in that relationship. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, sorry, go <laughs> ahead, Matthew. No, 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 no. After you, sir. Oh well, thank you so much. No, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> you go. You. Oh no. After you. After you. Anyway, what were those no, two squirrels? That piece. what were those two squirrels' names? Chip and Dale. No, no, no. <laughs> Good lord. I'm anyway. the wiener. <laughs> yeah, this this episode is going to be a little long, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, man. Go ahead. Uh, no more go. soda for anybody before the show. I, <laughs> I should not drink a quart of Monster as we go to press. <laughs> anyway, one of the things that is fantastic about this book is that all of these characters are people, and they're not even all that great of people. I mean, um, well, isn't it, that it, the what makes Marvel great anyway is that Stanley always wanted to create these people mm-hmm. with a with a human flaw that they weren't perfect yeah. that set and, them off from DC and and in a lot of ways it makes sense because you're like well some of these guys are even like borderline functional but you know yeah. it's like you have to have Ant Man on the team because he's a great scientist mm-hmm. you know is he is he all that stable as a person no Bruce Banner also no the Wasp no Tony Stark is a crazy millionaire Thor is a crazy hippie. Um, <laughs> But they're they're the people who are there at the right place at the right time and have the powers and are willing to work with Nick Fury. So actually, so much of the book is sort of um, trying to contain their personalities, right? Um, yeah. As they're as they're trying to figure it out. On top of the fact that they're a superhuman strike force meant to you know stop uh, threats, the likes of Magneto and the Hulk, but uh, they're. They haven't even, been any threats since yeah. the Hulk destroyed uh, the pier in Spider-Man, I think. Yeah, that was in Spider-Man. And that, and that's, again, another thing that's really kind of cool. We get to we get an introduction of Bruce Banner, which I think is great as this little dweebish character. <laughs> you know, he's not he's not this uh, smart, dashing scientist. Banner. I know, and, and that really, I don't know, I think that, I think that's part of his neurosis mm-hmm. is that everybody picks on me. Screw you guys, I'm going home. Yep. Exactly. Uh, He's he's that guy who always wanted to grow up and be the big giant bully and, you know, rub everybody's face in the dirt who did it to him. And it he does it in a very literal sense. Now, question, Matthew, historian. And this is recent history. Did we have the ultimate Iron Man series come out before we saw Iron Man in the Ultimates? We did not. That's what I thought. Ultimates volume one came first. And then the Ultimate Iron Man series was basically retconning in his backstory. So it's very interesting then to see Iron Man getting out of his suit with goo and everything mm-hmm. covering him. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that it doesn't talk about in the Ultimate Iron Man series, you know, where he has to put on this paint or whatever on his body right. to keep the uh, to keep the pain down. And I think it's kind of hinted, especially with Jarvis constantly handing him drinks, that the alcohol is doing the same thing that the drugs his father gave him when he was younger did. So. Mm-hmm. Possibility. One of the things that you know, both works and doesn't work for me is that it it takes the existing flaws and foibles of the characters that you know Stan and Don Heck and the, those artists created, and takes them to a more logical, a more topical extreme where mm-hmm. Tony's not just you know a tippler who goes bad you know and vomits in his mask once. He's a flat out psycho alcoholic. We're talking bottle after bottle after bottle. Right. And, right. You know. 
Hank Pym's not a basically good guy who flipped out, got emotional, and struck his wife. He's basically, you know, a, a borderline nut job who was just looking for a place to explode. Do you think and, he has? Do you think he has issues? Because you know he is Ant Man, and it seems like most people throughout history who are savage, brutal beings all have mm-hmm. height issues. You know, Napoleon, Hitler, mm-hmm. uh, General Sheridan, Hank Pym. It's, it's it's an interesting question. One of the things that which I actually leads him read, to becoming giant man. I mean, that's that's I guess what I'm I'm asking. No, I, I I definitely agree with you. I think that's a very good point. And you know, as the man who who kind of you know created that special game show, crap on Yellow Jacket. I would, to, <laughs> I would have to say one of the one of the things that we're seeing in the mainstream Marvel universe with the ongoing episodes of Crap on Yellow Jacket really started here. In Ultimates, those first few, you know, the ending of issue six especially is just mm-hmm. incredibly shocking. Yeah. Can we spoil it? Yeah, go ahead. It's five years old. Can we spoil it? Yeah. We get to the end of issue six where Hank Hank and Jan get, really get into an argument. And in, you know, I'm not going to defend anyone striking their partner, but she's in this fight as much as he is. And they have a fight and you get to the end of the issue where she shrinks down and he sends in an army of ants to try and eat her. The man, you know, loses, just just loses it. And it's that moment where you really realize, you, to me, you realize that these are very real people and they have very real emotions that can go horribly awry. But you can also look at that and realize that I think the writer has a real problem with people who hit their wife. Well, <laughs> so, and and that's, that's really one of the defining things about this, this series is that... Um, there, there's that panel where he's wearing the Ant-Man helmet and he's just looking a little bit dazed and just like, you know, just kind of, he, he looks crazy, at the but end he of doesn't the look like foaming at the mouth crazy. He looks like genuinely disturbed and he keeps saying, yeah. you shouldn't have made me feel small, Janet. Shouldn't yeah, have made and that's me why I was small. wondering if that's what was his, his reasoning for becoming for- Giant Man. And, I, I, you know, it's it's funny because um, they, they do a great job of characterization, but you kind of... You know, you have to read into it, but Bruce Banner and Hank Pym are very similar yeah, people. Very similar. They're both trying to compensate for their own inadequacies um, through something that they're really good at, which is like genetic alteration and right. cybernetics and stuff like that. Well, isn't that great then that when Banner then turns into the Hulk, he's all uh, he's all into, I got to rape Betty. I got to yeah. get Betty. It's like, get away from, get Freddie Prince Jr. away from Betty. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're, you're supposed to be Banner's property. You know, this is the Hulk. And I just love the fact that the Hulk seems to be this horny monster yeah. that Who? is just he's, after, after Betty. He's, he's basically, you know, if you, if you take it to, I can't remember if it's Freudian or Jungian archetypes, he's the id. He's all about yeah. sex he and property is. and this is mine. I want to eat something and sleep with a girl, and then I want to wake up and do it again. And it, it's all about what I want. And there's there's no rational thought to it. Right. But then you've given that you've given that so much form that he has the ability to go out and smash things till he gets what he wants. Yeah, you're, that's right on. And then we get, as you said, we get introduced to Thor, mm-hmm. who keeps saying, "Hey, man, I'm this Norwegian god of thunder, man. But let's save like, the planet." brother yeah. you know and, just the, and, the, and he, he i mean he borders on basically eco-terrorism right as it is you never see it on panel but they talk about it 
and um, he's very political. He won't join the Ultimates because they think they're Nazis. It's 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 actually kind of a uh, Green Arrow. Yeah, it really mentality. is. That's what it, that's what came across as me as I'm reading. Oh yeah, very much that. And it's just. Uh, you know, if you're going to do something a little different in the way the Ultimates is doing stuff, it really had me, at least for a little while, really wondering, is he really a Norse god or mm-hmm. is he somebody that just has some mutant powers mm-hmm. and he's and, gone trippy in the head? And that, I mean, that that's the point of Thor to me. You, When we were, you know, when we were younger, Stephen, they had the un- the new universe, which they always said was the world outside your window. And they tried to do realistic stories and immediately gave us gods and demons and fourth dimensions and kind of turned it into standard comic book universe. But the Ultimates really does it well here in that there's a rational explanation for the X-Men. There's a rational explanation for Spider-Man and the Hulk and Captain America's powers. And then they throw Thor into this and he says, I'm a North God. And everybody, everybody immediately says, you're a whack job. Yeah. That, I mean, nobody believes that, you know, he could, he, there's no way he could be the God of Thunder. They Everybody thinks he must be some crazy guy who has powers and is delusional. And they play it really straight to the point where we, the reader, don't know whether he's wacky in the wiki-woo or not. Well, and that just gives credit to Mark Miller, who is the writer behind this brilliant piece of work, The Ultimates. Mm-hmm. That just there's- really makes you guess and really understand. Gets, he gets inside the head of these characters. You know, Steve Rogers wakes up in the hospital, and there's Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson, looking at him, mm-hmm. trying to tell him what's going on. And he's like, yeah, yeah, good job, you freaking Nazis. Everyone knows that the highest-ranking black man in the military is, you know, uh, is, is a guy that I grew up with and he's not even, you know, the head of whatever. Right. And, you know, it just really kind of gets into that mindset of, here's Steve Rogers, who truly is in that mindset of everything that was going on before, you know, before the atomic bomb was dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, uh, the thing that I both love and hate about Ultimate Captain America is he is conservative in the way that you'd expect a person from 1945 to be. Right. When he's trying you know, he's trying to really mainstream himself in the year 2003, four, whatever it is. And it, it, he doesn't, I mean, he, he doesn't understand and he doesn't get it to the point where when, you know, when the Hulk is finally taken down, mm-hmm. and this is total spoiler, the moment where Bruce Banner looks up and kind of goes, hey guys, did I do something wrong? Yeah. You know, and that moment where Captain America, that I grew up reading, would have gone, no, it's okay, and taken him to Arkham Asylum and, or, you know, whatever the Marvel equivalent thereof would be. Whereas this Captain America says, no, you're fine, except for that huge gash on your face. <laughs> and he's like, I don't have a huge gash on my face. And Cap kicks Cow. him in the head. <laughs> he kicks an unarmed man in the face. And I just, I love that moment and hate it simultaneously because it's so... It's so indicative of where this character is going and so obviously what's different about this Captain America based on, you know, compared to the one that I'd been reading at that time for so many years. Well, and and later on in the the second set of six issues, um, Captain America goes out and he gets a hold of of Hank Pym. Oh, yeah, and goes to task for yeah. what he did to, uh, to his wife. He, I, I believe the phrase for that is slobber knocker. He basically just beats the living bejesus out of him. You know, right. we ask for readers to to give us some feedback on, on some of these, because we want to include you, the listener, into the show. And, and I really like what Hercules in New York had to say about Captain America. 
He says, quote, I actually thought Captain America was satire when I first read it. Some type of witticism I didn't get. But Marvel Comics allowed to prosper in in the same way a king allows his jester to thrive. The Ultimates was the first comic that I ever read that made me actually get Captain America. It gave him relevance and poignancy as a time-displaced warrior trying to preserve some form of long-lost idealism. This is the first comic to actually give him some kind of brilliance other than Frisbee-based circus tricks, not the least (laughs) of which is the unsurpassed tactical awareness and the redesigning of his outfit was pretty awesome to boot. I totally agree. And you know what? I, I feel... You know, as as cool as it is to see Captain America kick Bruce Banner in the face and knock him out, uh, I feel sorry for Captain America. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's funny because Captain America has always been like that that star spangled, square jawed, let's go get him, gung ho guy. Right. This act, this book accomplishes that incredible task of making Captain America angsty. And it's yeah. like, who would have ever thought? And one of the things that's really great to me is that in making his character that more, you know, stoic or that more uh, conservative to where he wouldn't actually ever come out and say, you know, oh, oh, woe is me, the way mm-hmm. the Captain America and mainstream Marvel had, have, has actually done, it makes the character's inner strength seem that much, you know, that much more obvious. It makes the character seem more impressive to me that... Yes, he's he's completely out of his place in his time, but that doesn't mean he's going to in any way change what it is that he believes in. What's mm-hmm. fundamental about Captain America stays the same as shown, you know, he's a soldier. He is a man who believes in America as a concept and he doesn't preach about it the way you might see from, you know, someone writing the modern Marvel universe cap per se. Right. He goes out there and he says, "Okay, I believe in America. You don't believe in America? Let me kick you in the face. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, makes it, makes it, I think, more of a modern sort of a topical concept there. Mm-hmm. If you want a condensed version of this book, you really need to check out uh, the Marvel direct-to-DVD Ultimate <laughs> series, which does a pretty good job of retelling this same story in a, I guess I should say, toned-down version. In a version. PG. Yeah, in a real toned-down PG. Yeah. This, is, yeah. this, this book is PG-13. The Ultimates DVD is certainly PG because it doesn't get into the whole banner or the wife beating yeah, or yeah, yeah, anything yeah. like that. But it's still it, it's it follows the general plot lines of the story fairly mm-hmm. well. Now, for some reason, I know that I've I had to have read volume two of this series, but for whatever reason, I look at it and I go, none of this is familiar. Mm-hmm. And Rodrigo keeps telling me, well, what about the Shakira? <laughs> and I'm like, what? What about Shakira? The Chitauri. <laughs> the Chitauri. <laughs> what I about great Shakira? Isn't this the scrolls? I had some chicken Chitauri the other day that was really good. <laughs> so anyway, I'll let you, Matthew, you, and Rodrigo go on about volume two. I know I know this story. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and it might have been because you saw the, the second yeah, Avengers. Yeah, the second Avengers uh, movie, but I know that that's not, I know that's not where it, where the, it is. The, the the second volume is you actually find out why Captain America was back there trying to stop that bomb besides the fact that it was a bomb. He actually makes a comment on the very first issue that there are uh, so many sides to the war, meaning World War II, um, and you find out that one of the sides in that war were the Chitori, who are these uh, shape-shifting aliens who have infiltrated Earth since, like, the 1700s. And this is the question that I had when we were talking about this earlier. Is this the ultimate version of the Skrulls? It is. In, 
It is. In fact, they even say that right later mm-hmm. in the in the series where they're talking about it. One of the yeah, they go through and they talk about the, all the names that species throughout the galaxies have given them, and just kind of as a throwaway bit, they say that you know they call us scrolls. Right, and they also have that moment in Ultimate Fantastic Four a year or two later where Super Scroll shows up and explicitly states that they are the Chitori. Mm-hmm. So what, what what goes on then in this series? I mean, Captain America says that there's these alien presence, they, and then how, the, how does the alien presence reveal <laughs> itself into this big battle that, well, that has to take off, place? Well, first off, they introduce the Black Ops division of the Ultimates, which is Black, Black Widow, Widow. Um, mm-hmm. Hawkeye... Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are right. sort of the the agents that no that nobody knows about. Okay. Um mostly because uh basically Hawkeye and uh, Scarlet or no, sorry, Black Widow are both assassins and the other two are mutants and they don't want people to know that there's mutants on so, the So again, question historian. Did Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have they already appeared in Ultimate X-Men? They had. This time? They were part of the Brotherhood. And what they about? They were part of the Brotherhood. And what about uh, Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye? Had they already appeared in one of the Ultimate titles before? Or are they new characters? Like Iron Man was a new character, and Thor Ultimate, was a new character. Ultimate Black Widow appeared in Ultimate Marvel Team Up okay. before she appeared here, but that version was so different from what we see that I cannot. I can't see a way for the issue to actually have been in continuity. Just, just as a it, as a side note, I remember like Ultimate Spider-Man just hit, and people were like, "Oh, we love Ultimate Spider-Man." Ultimate right. X-Men came out, and Ultimate Marvel team up started coming out, and it's like Spider-Man and the Hulk and Wolverine and this guy, and this is all this stuff. And I was like, "They are so going to regret this," and they have. I think Ultimate Marvel team up has been so retconned since then because they would just rush to introduce these characters i see and then ended up changing their minds like oh no no wait 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 wait, this is not what we wanted ultimate uh like ultimate hulk i think is actually in one of the first issues hmm. and i believe I ultimate think... iron man appears as well in a yeah. form that's very and, different from what and they are here. not what comes up in the avengers i see i so see. i ignore i ignore it as a series in general ultimate team up i just the the only reason i even mention it is because the art was so beautiful that i fell in love with black widow again for that issue mm-hmm. yes i am a geek thank you <laughs> so anyway things kind of escalate both personally and uh as far as the world situation because the chitori are getting ready to move and also captain america finds out that uh hank Pym beat, beat his wife um bruce banner is at absolute they're rock keeping him, bottom they're keeping him gas plus last time that he turned into the Hulk, he added uh, some of the new, some of the original Super Soldier Serum, which has now made like the Hulk cell self-replicating. Right. So he could turn into the Hulk at any minute. Which is kind of a big deal for what goes on in uh, Ultimate Iron Man or Ultimate Human. Uh, yeah, Ultimate Human, man. It's pretty intense. Yeah, and, and where he just, you know, they're trying to find this cure and he just keeps getting more and more power and keeps drawing, drawing more and more. And it's, and it's, that's actually a pretty good series. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you another question. Is it revealed that uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are brother and sister? It is. Okay. Yes. So that makes it even more creepier than when you look at Ultimate 3, the, the third series that's going on and what happens there. That well, The undercurrent is there from their first appearance, mm-hmm. though. That Oh, is it that okay? Quick, yeah, Quicksilver is obviously in love with his sister, and it's creepy and it's wrong, but it really kind of sets them away from the team and gives them a very... And I know this is going to offend our European listeners, so I'm real sorry. Oh, a yeah, very okay. kind of 
European moment where it's like, you know, they're, they're to the point where they think of themselves as royalty and it's only worth, you know, replicating in your own bloodline or something. Mm -hmm. But it really, it really serves to set them as weird amongst the weird. Yeah. And, and they are just total mutant supremacists as you know, the, they maintain yeah. that attitude from the very beginning. Right. Um, is there a big alien smackdown? There is. And the best part about it, and the thing that I just absolutely loved about it, and again, you know, here's some spoilers, is uh they're 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 getting there and they're getting their crap kicked out of them by the Chitori, because this invasion comes in full force. Um So they're like, okay, well they're beating us. Let's point the Hulk at them. Yeah. And and that's what does it, man. It like it turns the tide because the Hulk is just so. I mean, it sets up the Hulk as this completely unstoppable force. Um, that even the Chitori, with their hundreds of years ahead of us in technology and everything like that, the Hulk still goes in and you know decimates. He doesn't necessarily win the fight for everybody else, but he levels the playing field certainly. And levels about everything else inside. True. Let's <laughs> 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 see what I did there. <laughs> Going back to uh, some some listener comments and, and some more Captain American comments, and apparently everyone just loves Ultimate Captain America. Randall W. wrote in and said, I like the Ultimates version of Captain America. It seems to be the mainstream version of Cap is along the lines of Captain America represents all that was great about America. Therefore, what we put into his mouth these days should be what makes America great. Whereas Ultimate Cap is more of Captain America represents all that was great with America. Pity those values are old fashioned. Um, Damien F said the revival of Steve Rogers is very well done and Miller's angle on Bucky all the more tragic than the non-ultimate universe before the Buddy Brubaker Bucky Brubaker resurrection as his survival and marriage to Steve's fiance creates an alienation for Steve of which he has missed and allows him to painfully see a life that will always be out of his reach Bucky's wife being out of uh, brings out the tragedy all the more when he sits and stares at the mirror, calling out that she doesn't want him to see her as age has ravaged her body and the sexual delights of young love become asynchronous with what she's become and what Steve has remained. Wow. Fancy. Got some good yeah. good people over there at the Majorspoilers.com website. Yeah, man. We're, I got we're, we have some uh we have some real nerd philosophers up in here. <clears throat> I gotta I say, we call those geekosophers. <laughs> I gotta love the art done by Brian Hitch. Yeah. This is some top-notch art. I like this a lot. I, I had and one complaint about it, and that's that he goes very sharply sometimes between here's what's generally going on to absolute photorealism. Like, there's well, one. Yeah, the one with uh, not Elizabeth Shue, but uh, what's her face up oh, in Shannon space? Elizabeth. Shannon Elizabeth. Uh, Although Elizabeth Shue would be still pretty hot too, and and that Karate and that, Kid, not Elizabeth Shue, uh, Adventures in Babysitting. And Although that she was uh, there too. doesn't, uh, and that didn't bother me too much. Although I think the the references to Shannon Elizabeth, Freddie Prince Jr., George W. Bush, Larry all this King, stuff, yeah, it's gonna date the book. And and I know that they're going for that. They're like, this is the Avengers in two thousand two three to two thousand eight yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, and I know that's what they're going for, but later on, people are going to pick it up and say, it's like, oh, well, you know, this is... Dated. Yeah. Is that a yeah. problem with art today? Because, I mean, um, well, Greg Land doesn't do it. Alex Ross certainly does it. And um, um, not Greg Horn. Greg Land does it with the porn stars right. lifting mm -hmm. some stuff. Right. Mike He's Deodato is terrible for it, especially if you look at his Thunderbolts work. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh yeah. everybody. Uh, 
Yeah, Tommy with Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Is, Tommy, yeah. Jones. is that a problem? I mean, is that a problem? I mean, obviously, in the in the fact that, uh, and it wasn't in Ultimates where um, Nick Nick Fury is Samuel is Samuel L. Jackson. L. Jackson. I mean, it worked out great for the Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. Is it such a big deal? I mean, it certainly worked in this case. It. I don't think well, that dates the book, but it bothers me because. It I, takes you out of that reality. It's you know how do we know how do we know Samuel L. Jackson isn't the head of a secret organization? He must be clearly. I mean, he's a good actor, but being in every movie every year, he's got to be doing something. He must have some clones. Either that, or he's finally gotten control of that army of mother f and snakes on the mother f plane. <laughs> One of the things that, and this is my general alex ross rant the thing that bothers me about photorealism and stunt casting in comics is that it takes basically it takes a portion of of the the collaboration away from you as the reader when you're Mm -hmm. looking at the book it's like when you read a novel and then you read a comic version of it and you have to deal with that artist's thoughts on who exactly should be playing the character Mm -hmm. i cannot read anything by alex ross with iron man because iron man to me is not timothy dalton timothy dalton is the villain in the rocketeer oh man that's a great movie we're gonna have to talk about that in the future but that's my head and that's the way i would cast it to me you know you look at like it russell johnson the professor as reed richards works for me makes other people crazy when you say Here's Norman Osborn, as played by Tommy Lee Jones. You're taking an equation, you're taking a part, the reader out of the equation, and you're I, giving us Alex Ross's Tommy Lee Jones as, you know, or Mike But Deodato's isn't that his Tommy right Lee. to do that? I mean, this is, my, this is the artist saying, this is my interpretation. Uh, and, and it is, but, uh, it, you know, because he's drawing it. So, but... You know, Matthew voiced it, and I've been trying to figure out a way to say it, and he's right. He's he's taken me out yeah. of the equation. Oh, I, I totally agree, I, but I'm just saying it is the artist's prerogative to do, you do know, what he wants. I, in, a, in a lot of ways, comic book characters are sort of amorphous, and that's why we can a new person right. can step into drawing them, and they sort of take on a different light, right. but they're still the same character. It's, it's yeah. kind of cool that way. If you calcify a character into somebody that everybody knows already it kind of changes and taints the character it sort of structures the character in a way that uh is somewhat harmful to the franchise in general and that's the problem with comic book movies that is it is exactly all right one of one of the things and i want to get it real quick and i know we're going really 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 long yeah and i I frankly don't care but (laughs) Well, I did promise when, my readers we or listeners we'd never have a three-hour podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm counting an hour and thirty-eight, and that's counting me blathering for ten yeah, minutes at the beginning. We got time. Minutes, yeah, go ahead. But <laughs> when you when you look at hyperrealism in comics, part of the reason that comics have thrived for sixty years is because they are inherently a medium that you have to not only suspend your disbelief, but you have to throw your imagination into it. If you read something from the Golden Age or even from early days of Marvel, DC in the 60s, you're filling in the blanks yourself. And it makes one of the reasons people look back and say Golden Age comics were wonderful or Silver Age comics were so much more thoughtful is the artists and the writers were depending on us as the readers and generally expecting us to be kids, but depending on us 
to look at it and say, you know, that scrawling looks an awful lot like Iron Man flying to the moon. And wouldn't it be cool? And how would that go? And, mm-hmm. you, know, how would, you know, how would this look in my brain? Your mind and your interpretation of the character, like uh, if you look at, I mean, a, a more recent example, the interpretation of John Constantine from issue one of the book through the, the last 200 issues of Hellblazer, every artist gives us a new take on the character. Every writer gives us a new angle. But you fill in the blanks and say, well, this all kind of smushes together with my help and my imagination into one well-rounded character. Bringing it back to the Ultimates, I think Hermit said it best. Ultimates was one of the first books I read when I came back to comics in 2002. It made me stay in the medium for a while. I had to stop for various reasons. And I discovered that the very t- and I discovered the very talented Mark Miller. Everything is good about the book. The writing. The art. The characters. Like Hercules said, I love the realism and how the characters react in everyday life situations, showing us that they're only human. The biggest example that comes to mind is when Hank Pym beats his wife and Captain America goes after him. When I want to read a good comic, I read this one. Tomorrow I'm going to buy the trades or the hardcovers because now I only have the floppies and I don't want to rip them. I think that sums up the Ultimates pretty damn well. I'm giving this a four out of five. This is one of the must-have trades. I don't know why we didn't put it on our top 30 list. Did did somebody put it on our top 30 list? I think... I I think I might have. Okay. It it certainly is one of those that is a fantastic read. And what I like about it is it is the ultimate universe. It doesn't come with the baggage of Marvel 616 proper. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good way to jump on board some of these Marvel titles. I'm I'm going to give it I'm going to give it four and a half. Really I don't have enough problems with it. I just every turn I it's Brian brought up that he really didn't like what they did with the Hulk. Right. Because I think he likes the the protagonist Hulk as opposed to the antagonist Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, if you're listening, you know, you can always yeah. join us back on the show and... and please, <laughs> please take us back, baby. We didn't Scroll, it. Brian. Scroll, Brian. You are not welcome on the show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Sorry to interrupt. Um, it, it's like every characterization is so dead on they took the things that were complex about them and set them in a modern context and just made it great the art if the art was different i'd probably still like it but it's definitely solid enough and the best part is uh character design Mm -hmm. because the art the action you know a lot of people can can draw a cool actual cool action scene but the design of the costumes is just fantastic so four and a half for me i agree matthew I'm I'm actually going to sound like I'm reversing myself because after, you know, a 5-minute rant on hyperrealistic art and my general thoughts on modernization and, you know, widescreen superviolence, I'm going to go the full 5 stars because mm-hmm. this retells a story in a manner that is respectful of what went before is modernistic in a way that's not distracting and it really takes everything that's good about Marvel comics doesn't throw out the embarrassing parts, but it reinvents the embarrassing parts in ways that make it more compelling. Mm-hmm. I, I like Hermit also posted a quick thing. He said, you know, this is the second trade paperback in a, in, in a row that you guys have reviewed of uh, Mark Miller. You guys got some fanboy love going on. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know, I, to be honest, and I have to say this, whenever I read a comic, I don't look to see who did the art or who did the writing unless it's splashed across the cover right. like Denny Morrison on Batman. Uh, 
I read it through, and if I really like it, I'll go and say, who the hell wrote this? So I'm not aware of other things that Mark Miller has written, but if this is typical of what he's done in Wanted and in The Ultimates, this man's a genius. And, and you know, we we kind of did that at the very beginning. We just kind of they're like, hey, what do you want to do first? Let's do Runaways. And it's like, oh, I just got The Escapist. It just happened to be two Brian K. Vaughn books right, in a right, row. Right. Um, I do the same thing. I, you know, I probably read tons of stuff drawn and written by the same guys that I really like. And then somebody's like, dude, that's, that's Mark Wade. He's been, he's been, he wrote that too. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Quick question. I think it's just, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I think it's just an example. It's kind of like, you know, with the, with the hero histories, and by the way, I'm sorry I'm late. With the hero <laughs> histories, I, I don't have a hard and fast rule. I have kind of a list, and I just basically do whatever the hell suits my fancy that day. Mm-hmm. And oh. I think that really, that should be our new catchphrase. Rather than, we love comics and we know you do, we do whatever the hell suits our fancy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm docking you 10 Luthor dollars for being late on this, this one. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, now okay. I won't be able to buy that imaginary pool. Okay, guys, I think that just about wraps it up for today's mm-hmm. show. And I want to thank everyone for sticking with us through all our little bits of craziness and things that we had to edit out because Matthew can't keep his uh, four-letter words to a minimum. <laughs> and um, on a side note. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so special treat next week. Next major spoilers podcast episode, it's going to be devoted, the entire show is going to be devoted to Indiana Jones. Everything indie from the original movies, the new movie which comes out this weekend, the toys, the action figures, the music, the whole idea of of great serials, it's all on the next major spoilers podcast. We really appreciate everyone who listens to the show. Uh, Take a few moments, if you would, go over to iTunes or Podcast Alley, vote for us, leave us some real positive feedback, makes us feel good, makes everyone else feel good gets more people listening to the show tell your friends about the show go over to the major spoilers forum make sure you visit majorspoilers.com yada 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 our, our myspace page that we, we do have out. a myspace page as well you can find us at uh, myspace.com slash major spoilers become one of our friends we do have some some people starting to join on we really love everyone who is part of this whole major spoilers universe because we know that you love comics and we do too and apparently we'll do whatever the hell we want <laughs> see you next time Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your things if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care if they bring back Craven. Spider-Man's a clone